0: Hi there, and welcome to The Creative Endeavor, the podcast bringing you inspiring stories from creative professionals from around the world. And in this episode, I'm talking to Caleb Brown, who's an extraordinary young artist based in Georgia in the United States. Now, Caleb produces some really slick, almost photographic paintings of his sporting heroes. He's got a really unique graphic style to his paintings, and he's produced something in his career that is highly sought after. Now, Caleb is somebody who has nailed, in my opinion, the direct marketing approach to art. But he's also somebody who has the mindset down pat. Now, I personally know that I can learn a heck of a lot from Caleb. And initially, when Caleb reached out to me, we connected instantly. I could tell that Caleb had something to offer when it comes to working through a lot of the challenges that us creative professionals go through on a regular basis. Caleb even delivered a TED talk that was all about working through adversity. Now, if you're an artist and you're a creative professional working in the industry today, Adversity is just going to be something that you come across all the time. So it helps to have the strategies, the mental strength and fortitude to be able to weather that storm. Now, I got a heck of a lot out of this conversation with Caleb. He shared some of his insights and some of his wisdom with me. And even though he's at a ripe age of 25, he still has so much to offer. So again, I got a heck of a lot out of this. I hope you will too. Without further ado, here's Caleb Brown in The Creative Endeavor. Well, Caleb, welcome to The Creative Endeavor podcast. It's an absolute pleasure having you on the show. I've been, obviously, we connected over Instagram. I think you actually reached out to me, and then I started following your work, and then I checked out your TED Talk, and I was really (laughs) excited about what you were doing. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself, about your art, and what has led you up to this point in your journey so far?
1: Oh, man. I mean, I'm grateful to be on on this show because I've been looking up to you for, I mean, you don't know this, but I've been looking up to you since I started this art thing, which would have been three years ago. I went to college in Macon, Georgia. That's about an hour south of Atlanta. And I didn't go to school for art, like it was my minor, but it wasn't something I had planned on doing. And then halfway through my senior year of college, like I made the decision, like, I'm gonna do the art thing full time because I knew I had some artistic ability, but I guess I got to that point in life where I was like, okay, I could go on with the career field I went to school for, or I could go ahead and give the art thing a try and see how it goes. And luckily, it's gone really well. And I've been able to do some things. Artists provided me a platform to spread positive messages, you know, you know, gave me a chance to do a TED talk. And then when I saw you were you had launched um, your own vlog or podcast, I was like, well, I might as well ask them. like, hey, can, can I be on your show? Because, hey, I want to talk to you. And, and you responded. And I if man, I was so hot, like hyped up that day. And my friends will tell you, I was like, bro, look at this. He responded. I was like, that's crazy. And so now we're just able to do, I've done several commissions for, I guess, semi-famous people, some different entertainers, some professional athletes, some college athletes. So we've been able to do some work for some really cool people and just been able to keep, keep it going with the creating. And I'm really grateful to be where I am today, just trying to grow, man, and trying to learn from people like you and figure out how to do this thing even better. So thank you for having me on. Look, Caleb. No, it's it's an
0: it's an absolute pleasure to have you on because I mean, look, man, you're 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 an artist in your own right. And you're kicking some major goals here, and forgive the pun, dealing with football themes and all of that. <laughs> but you know what I really admire, what I really love, um, especially with 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 people that are that are much younger, and and I I hope you don't mind. I, I'm not trying to patronize at all, but <laughs> no. I find it so ridiculously inspiring is when people like just take the plunge reach for a goal just get over the fear and those initial humps that get in the way and they just really shoot for something because at the end of the day like I I I know me and I know what I've been able to do in my career but the one thing that I've had I guess going for me was just kind of this bulldog determination and and I guess one of the things that I saw in you and when you reached out to me and we connected I was thinking yeah, I I saw a lot of that story, and 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 I was seeing that here's somebody who's making it work in a unique way, and this is a cool thing about the podcast. Is reaching out to so many different artists. Is every episode I do, I'm seeing a new, unique way of approaching this beast, which is art. You know, it's it's Absolutely. there's no cookie cutter method. And, and this, is, this is the awesome thing about it. So, so here you are. You, you were studying full-time. You're going to college. You know, you're a pretty sporty guy as well, hence mm-hmm. the subject matter you deal with. So how do yeah. you find yourself now? Maybe give us a snapshot of your business and how that works. How do you find yourself now being a full-time artist at what age, if you don't mind me asking, Caleb? I'm
1: 25. I turned 25 this year. So Dude,
0: see, this is, this is huge. <laughs> this is huge. This is awesome. So get, tell, us, tell us how this works for you
1: now. So nowadays I work mainly on commission. I never really got into the to the gallery thing, which I'm not against. It just wasn't my mode of I felt like with social media and things like that provided me a platform to to not need a middleman of sorts. So I've I've always kind of just operated that way. Word of mouth has been big and yeah, people hit me up for birthdays. Um, anniversaries, Christmas—you know—I just got several Christmas commissions because the um, the holidays are rolling around. Valentine's Day is obviously another big one. And as far as the the sports guys, they normally just see their friends got a painting. It's like, hey, you did a painting for such and such. Can you do one for me? And I'm thinking about personally. I'm thinking about settling in to the sports genre. Like, I think I'm. I think I might want to settle in there. When I when I used to draw and paint when I was a young kid, that was what I liked anyways. And I did play college football in my school. So, yeah, I've been playing sports my whole life. So I think that might be the area I want to settle in. It's just a market I kind of like. And so that's kind of where we are now, just really just working on commissions. I'm trying to do some different things, maybe implement some print sales and things of that nature. Just still trying to learn, man. Like, Because, like you said, there's no cookie cutter. I'm not going to lie. When I first started, I was trying to figure out what that road was to become the big-time artist. And what I found is that there is no uh, clear cut road. It's so different that you really got to find your own way, and, and I guess take from different people and try your best to get it done. But it's definitely been a uh, it's been a great journey, and I'm grateful for where we are now. And we're trying to just you know keep improving, man. That's awesome.
0: That's awesome. Uh, there's so many different directions we can go, and we're, we're going to cover <laughs> all of it. Um, one of the things I, I heard something recently uh, in a book that I've really enjoyed. I, I listen to a lot of audiobooks while I'm working, and um, there's this fantastic book called Art, Money, Success by Maria Brophy. And I read in, it. Oh, yeah, fantastic, yeah. man. So she had this one section in there about finding your niche and exploiting that niche. And mm-hmm. what I found I mean, look, I, I don't know if I've done this, but I because I'm inspired by everything, but I, I do know of mm-hmm. a lot of people, you know, like yourself, who you find this thing. You settle in on this thing. And what happens is this really interesting feedback mechanism between the market that you're exploiting, but also you're showing up with your passion for that subject. And there's this kind of resonance, which then starts to feed into it. And you could end up becoming you know, the big name within a particular genre relatively quickly. Mm-hmm. I'll give you a name of somebody that I spoke to recently, which was Bethany Veer, who's mm-hmm. who's really keyed into the equine art and the horse theme. And now mm-hmm. she's dealing with horsey people and she's got Olympic gold medalists and, and people commissioning her to do her work. And it's just extraordinary. But in terms of like a broad appeal, like she is laser focused. And so that's the mm-hmm. thing that I that I find is really, really interesting. So when you're... When you're taking your paintings, which which are exceptionally well done, they're they're almost you know photographic. They're very slick. They got a graphic quality to them. Let's say you got mm. your painting. How do you go about reaching out to a new client to getting somebody on board?
1: Oh man, so it really goes back to my like my first celebrity quote commission was rap. This rap group called Migos in America. And they're really popular. And I was a senior in college. And what I did at that point was I finished the painting first and then I sent it to everybody in the company, like on via Instagram. Like I sent it to everybody, like everybody and in, in who I could find. And they responded. Well, one of them ended up responding. And that really launched the trajectory of my career because I was like, OK, if I can do it with this group, then I can surely reach out to certain like And so that's how it's kind of worked for me. And I've just had different connections. Even me being a former athlete, I have connections to guys. I didn't go to a very big, big school football wise, but I have friends who did. And, you know, I do work for them, maybe even complimentary. And then their friends who play in the NFL see that and they're like, hey, I saw what you did for him. Can you do it for me? And that's a strategy. Like, I've just realized I made a lot of connections through sports. And that's been a big way for me to to kind of. Expand in that way. And even with some of the other things like the TED talk, I met a lot of people there and when they found out you're an artist like, oh man, all right. And then you just reach out. I think what I found was that so many people are scared to put their work out there, scared that, you know, maybe their celebrity favorite person might say it's not good. But I was like, we really, really have nothing to gain. I already don't know them. So, the worst case, they're just not going to see it or worst case, they don't like. I still don't know this person personally. So it was like, I have nothing to lose to just put this out there and say, hey, do you like this painting? And that first time, I didn't even really intend to get paid. I just wanted him to I really just wanted to give him a painting as a fan. And he paid me. So we started a relationship. That's really I'm I'm, I'm definitely a guy that likes to just send the DMs, get my friends on board, say, hey, tag this person. And and that's really it's, it's worked. Like I think if you put out a good product, I think if they they catch it, you know they'll say, "Hey, that's that's actually kind of nice." Now that didn't work for like Beyonce or anyone or Drake, but we're working on it.
0: That's brilliant, man. That's brilliant. Hey, give it time. I think uh, they'll they'll, <laughs> they'll catch on soon enough. Um, Absolutely. But that that's so inspiring. I mean, I, I I can't tell you how many opportunities I've held myself back from because of the fear that somebody was going to say no. And it took me years, man, it, to, to kind of get over that fear of going, I'm not going to reach out to that person or I'm not going to call that company to work with them or I'm not going to do this because, yeah, what if they say no? And, you know, there was this one one time where, you know, I, it was really, to be honest, it was Dr. Martini who gave me that push that I really needed and speaking to him directly, he was just like, he said, hey, I think your, your work would go really well aboard this ship. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, cool. Um, yeah, you, you'll put in a good word for me, right? And he's like, no. Damn it, you're going to call him, you know, <laughs> I love that because it, as soon as I realized that I had the power and like you say, man, I mean, what's, what's the worst that could happen? They could say, they could say, no, how many, how many artists out there? How many creative people? Cause we're sensitive people, right? You how mean, how many, how many of us out there are holding ourselves back from opportunities just out of that silly,
1: stupid fear, you know, that we made up, like we just, like really the worst like this because you can still it's not like they're going to chop your hands off. if They don't like your painting. Like you can still paint after you can get better. Like your life isn't over if one person doesn't like your art. Like I've done really well and I've had several paintings that that people were just like, eh, you didn't really you didn't really hit the mark. Like, I don't like it. And that was rough at the time. But the the more I get into the business and the, the older and wiser I grow, I realize that, you know, it's not such a big deal if somebody doesn't like it. Like all you can really control in anything in life is how you perform. And trying to base your success on how somebody else feels is a recipe for disaster. And so I've tried my best, even in recent months, to say, I can't control whether they like this painting or not. All I can do is do my best in this moment and continue to show up regardless of that. Like, even if they don't like it, okay. for the next painting, am I going to still be worried about how that one didn't necessarily go well or I'm going to keep doing my best? And I think we've lost that a little bit in the creative sphere and just in general, like I I really wish people like just so doggone scared, man, it's like it really don't matter what they think because they could be having a bad day and just not necessarily like what you painted. And does that mean you're a bad artist? No. So if anything, just really just try my best to control what I can control. And that's just doing the best that I can with the work that's in front of me.
0: I, again I appreciate that so much because I, I, this is a thing that I think I, well I struggle with I know a lot of other artists struggle with is mm-hmm. balancing the internal and the external you know the internal being those drivers that you should be engaged with you know the inspiration the work itself and the external are, are all those factors that we can't control you know feedback from others and, yeah. and, and is it going to land is it going to is it not going to land and I find that you know this is almost the impossible thing about balancing this out as a business because we need to be able to balance both um Mm -hmm. and yeah i i love what you're saying there let's 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 get into the 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 painting side of things i want to get a little bit more of a a snapshot of of your journey because it's taken it's taken a bit of um you know a a bit of a unique track here i mean as we're saying everybody has their own unique story when did you first realize when did you first learn that you had a knack for drawing and painting and what was that moment like for you where you're like hang on I, I really love this
1: all right so when i was a kid i was always kind of drawing especially like different anime comics things like that which was just you know every kid kind of starts off with some kind of artistic endeavors but then i ended up just end up being better than a lot of my classmates and i was like okay maybe i'm pretty good And I pretty much did a lot of pencil drawing well up until as long as I can remember, like I got really good by the time high school. But again, I never thought that it would ever be a professional thing for me. I was like, "Mm, I'm going to play in the NFL like I'm, I'm not doing this art thing. They don't make no money. I'm not doing that. And the only reason I ever took a painting class, like I hated painting, Andrew, like I actually did not like painting at all. And but my coursework required me to take this painting class. And in that class. I was garbage, like I was trash, like I was so bad. And it wasn't until like the last assignment where I did something, I was like, okay, that was decent. But what truly let me know that, okay, maybe I can do this was we had a talent show, same same year, like my senior year of college. And I remember seeing this performance artist named David Garibaldi. you may have seen him, but it's like, they go up on stage, play some music, he's dancing and throwing paint on the canvas and he does a painting, a portrait in like seven minutes. And I was like, I could do that. So I tried it and it went well. And at that point, that was the first time, and people wanted to buy my artwork, and that was the first time I ever even gave it any consideration that okay, maybe I can do this art thing. And and then I just practiced, really just went in and tried my hardest to paint some things, just to try it out to see how it worked. And of course, that was when I started having those conversations with myself where it's like, okay, I'm really good at this, or at least I got a shot to get better. Like I've only been doing this for some months, and. I can I can probably make a career out of this. Like, even if I fail, I think I would still feel a little better trying this than being bored and what I was going to do. So that was I would say probably my senior year. Like I said, I knew I could draw well, but painting allowed me I could even it took me forever to draw pictures, but I could paint fast or faster than it would take for me to draw a really big drawing. And so these were things that I was like, this painting thing, like, why am I doing this my whole life? And it just got from a technical standpoint, I just did a lot of practicing, watching videos, and especially yours, like, helped me tremendously with certain things that I just, because I didn't have a formal art education, a lot of these things I had to learn on the fly, and your videos were definitely helpful, and that's kind of how we got to where we are now, so it took really, I guess, 21 years for me to realize that I could paint it all, and here we are now. Awesome. <laughs> don't don't give me any credit, please. I Man. You know,
0: I, um... I'm addicted to it. I'm addicted to painting, obviously, but I'm addicted to teaching others. And and I'm just... You know, I I okay. I'm gonna admit, I get a little bit of a buzz out of hearing that from people. Like, it's kind of like, yeah, cool, it worked. You know, you know, because it, it that's the thing. Once once I realized that um I I did have something to offer, I was like, cool, this is having a bit of a positive impact. I, I try not to focus on it too much, but um, no, I'm just I'm so wrapped. But please don't don't give me credit because I can tell. Mm-hmm. You know, you you're you're bringing this to to bring into your your career and your journey, your own unique flair. You know, you've obviously got. Ability, you've got talent, but the thing again that I, I love about what you're doing is is how this is like keying in to that niche, and you're exploiting this thing. And when I say exploit, I mean that in the po- most positive kind of way. Sometimes mm-hmm. people think exploitation, you know, it's a it's a bad word, but you are you're taking advantage of a situation you've created, and I think mm-hmm. as artists, that's all we're trying to work out how to do. There, there's I've said this so many times in the podcast. Never been a better time to be an artist, and and you know I, I see Absolutely. I see people who are thriving in the gallery model, but now with the power that's been put in our hands as individuals, we can we can kind of bypass the gallery and that mm-hmm. system. There's nobody standing in our doorway saying, "No, no, no, hang on a second, let me check your work and see if you're good enough." You, we can now connect directly to buyers.
1: Exactly. So,
0: I I, I appreciate what you're doing in terms of you know, you're reaching out to people directly, you're, you're kind of gaining this client base. I'd love to know a little bit more about, you know, you've, you've got from your Ted talk, you know, you're a driven guy. Have you got some sort of overarching vision or mission or goal? Like is goal setting is something like that is achievement, something that's important to you. And and maybe give me a, a snapshot about your vision and where you want to go with this thing.
1: So I remember when I first started, my main thing was that I wanted to be able to inspire those people who, what we were talking about earlier, who are just scared. Because when you're in college, you see plenty of kids who are doing it just because it's what they should do or because their parents told them to do it. And I'm, and I'm walking around campus, I'm like, you look miserable. Like you look miserable studying for whatever you're studying for. Like, if you're gonna be miserable, at least be miserable for something you care about, which kind of leads into what I was talking about with the TED talk. Like you can't avoid suffering in life. So if you're gonna if you're gonna suffer, suffer for something you care about, like, th- like you're there's never you're never gonna escape it. So if you're gonna have to go through hell on earth, then you might as well do it. Painting a picture at 4 a.m. in the morning when you've been like when you're tired, like if, if I'd rather do that than than be slaving at a job I don't particularly care for, and so that really turned into a, a whole new thing where now I'm really interested in the. The teaching part, the coaching part, really trying to help people develop the mindset, even if they don't want to be an artist, just whatever it is they want to do to give them the mindset to put them in a position to be successful. Because at one point, you know, I was going to I was going to write the book that says this is how you become a millionaire as an artist. And I haven't I haven't figured that out. So (laughs) so my new thing is, like, I really just want to try to keep letting the art provide a platform so that I can teach the message that is. You know, there's a certain mindset. You know, success leaves clues, and there's a certain psychological disposition you can have that'll prepare you for success in anything that you do. Is, you know, everybody has their self-help mantra or whatever it may be, but I think that from my journey, it just provides a different flavor, a little something, a little different that might resonate, especially with the creative, creative types, because obviously there's a lot of stereotypes about us that would keep people away from chasing their artistic dreams, and I would hate that. Like I don't. If you're talented like I, it, or if it's something you really love, I, I would want you to have the confidence to pursue that. Or And so my mission now is to continue to just learn and grow so that I don't like and practice what I preach so that I can speak from a place of this is something I'm doing actively or something I've done. So when I'm encouraging you guys to do it, I'm not just speculating like I kind of know what the process takes. And that's that's really what fuels me now is just trying to give people Whatever, give them the tools to go through life and do the things they love and just live wholeheartedly, really. And art is definitely providing me that platform to get on stages and tell people that. Let, let's
0: get into the weeds a little bit here. I, um, I, I, you said something there that I, I really appreciate <laughs> because um, money, especially when we attach money to creativity and, mm-hmm. and especially any kind of notion or, or goal or desire that we have to be rich or wealthy, is mm-hmm. somehow shunned in certain circles, and other people are through their own fear and perhaps ignorance, they try and limit other people's reaching out and trying to strive for that financial goal. Now, Absolutely. personally, I don't know if I've said this before in the podcast, but hey, I'll say it in this episode. Um, I I want to be <laughs> I want to be rich. I do. Yeah. I want to be rich. I want to be wealthy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that has changed completely because I didn't used to want that. That wasn't something that was important to me. But the older I get, the more I see it as an absolute necessity. Now, I can hear that that's something that's important to you too, is it going towards, mm. I mean, heck, man, you want to write the book on it. I, I want to read yeah. that book. So, <laughs> so, um, so, so tell me about this. How do, you, how do you balance out for yourself that desire for success, for financial gain? and maintaining your creative integrity
1: so i think it goes back to what i talked about a little bit earlier i've been studying a lot of philosophy lately especially from the stoic tradition and one of their things is one of their main mantras is like you can't you can only control you essentially i can't control anything outside i can't control who likes my stuff all i can really control is what i do and so when i i set goals but i know that I can only focus in this moment on what I'm doing. And that's the day-to-day process. Like it's the process over the outcome. Yes, I want to make a million dollars, but I'm pretty sure that if I made that million, but didn't really work for it, I don't know if I'd be able to enjoy it the same way. And a lot of people may not believe that, but I just find that to be true. Like, I just feel like if, if I'm, if I'm true to myself and my, my moral code, my process, that, that million will be a lot sweeter. So I think, with the main it's just keeping the main thing the main thing that's how i kind of keep everything in perspective um because again i can't control when that million dollar client is is gonna walk in my door i but like i got control but i don't like i can only again i can only truthfully control what i do who i reach out to and so that's normally how i try to stay keep things in perspective and that's kind of new actually and it's actually it's i'm at a lot more peace with that mindset than maybe how I would have operated in the past, which was just in constant chase mode and trying to make things happen and, you know, being disappointed because I can't will them to happen. So doing a better job of just, I'll say it again, keeping the main thing the main thing.
0: I I heard that in a Brendan Bouchard book, um, which is fantastic. I'm trying to remember what you'll know the name of it because maybe you got it from Brendan Bouchard. The main thing is to keep the main thing. The main thing.
1: Oh, really? Uh, or maybe you know,
0: a lot of people have said that. Uh, but yeah, I, I, uh, I got
1: that from. Uh, I actually got that from this American football player named Jalen Hurts. He's been saying it all season, and I've been loving it because I'm like. Yeah, he gets it, like he gets it. That guy gets it. Like yeah. we can't control what the media says about our team. Like we can't control what they say in the newspaper about Caleb or Andrew. All we can control in our particular field is how we approach our process, painting wise. And yeah. you know, all he can control is how he plays the game. So, yeah, I, I love it. The the reality
0: that I I found, you know, when I started out and and I was setting goals. And again, I kind of oscillate between, you know, being very deliberate about my goals and being very future focused and Mm -hmm. then being very present and process driven. And Mm -hmm. so the thing I found when I first started out, I was like, you know, I just want to keep the gig going. So whatever a goal allows me or whatever financial goal, as soon as we're talking about money as well, whatever financial goal allowed me to just sustain my production, that's all I Mm. wanted to do. And now since I've achieved that, and that's been the norm now for for several years, I I just thought, well, now it's time to up that goal. Because I found that if I'm not growing, if I'm not going to that next level, if I'm not you know, reaching for the next rung on the ladder, so to speak, mm-hmm. that it stifles my creativity. Absolutely. That there, there's something about that that kind of I feel hemmed in, held back and, and not living up to my full potential. and so um th- this has been something that, that i've I've been trying to focus on a little bit more is having ambitious but achievable goals and and again, some financial goals. but this was a thing I struggled with. You know, maybe, maybe you could reflect on this as well, because I, I imagine it's similar also for a lot of people that are, that are listening. I really I felt dirty somehow, in wanting to have financial abundance. Mm-hmm. It took me a long time to kind of get over that and realize that this was actually the, the reality of the world that we live in and something that I actually needed, that the more I had, the more I had to give. In, in, in many mm-hmm. different ways but I imagine that's going to be different for all kinds of people out there but I think one of the things is creatives as artists you know the thing that I'm impressed of, with with you again and I don't say that to, to, to patronize at all Caleb but the thing that impresses me is like you just you're dialed in man you, you just seem to get this right off the bat whereas a lot of people will sub even if they don't consciously say that they'll subconsciously undermine their progress and their success Mm -hmm. because they feel somehow that Money or going for finances is not an acceptable thing for an artist yeah, so so What would you say to people that that are are limiting themselves in that way? How would you how would you get them to step up?
1: It's like because it's one of those things where it's like money is a good thing because I think again it depends on your character obviously I know that Caleb Brown doesn't want a lot of money just to engage in just random pleasures. I know that more money allows me more options, options to create more work, um, buy cooler materials, new cameras, whatever it may be, a chance to make this business better so that we can then help other people more. Just like you say, the more we have, the more we can give, like literally giving money or like you say, being able to create better content for people who care. And so... Again, I don't have no problem because I know my motives. Like, I know who I am. I know that giving money, like, I'm not just using it to be evil. Like, I know that that money is just for even when I have kids one day. So I can make sure that my kids have a, everything that they could possibly need to be successful. These are the things I'm thinking about. My future wife, same thing, like, making sure she's taken care of and she can achieve her dreams. If, because... Money isn't going to buy the happiness, but I'm definitely thinking that again, money definitely gives you options to for better struggles, let's put it that way. Since I said it earlier, you can't really get rid of suffering, but money allows you to go into cooler realms of suffering that, you know, but do even cooler things that matter to you. Like you take a lot more risks. Like it's just there's nothing wrong with it, and that's why I don't understand why people would even ever even think that. Like nobody tells a doctor Hey, you know, you shouldn't be making money, or any other profession that makes a lot of money. They're not going to be like, hey, I don't think we, professional athletes, well, we shouldn't really pay you that much. Like, that's why I don't understand. Like, I don't get it. <laughs> like, everybody should have an opportunity to make as much money as they want to. So I would tell them, I just say, keep your motives. Remember, money just allows you options, man. So definitely. Don't turn that away just because it's been a stereotype in this field for the longest. I,
0: I think I think part of what's happening here and part of the dynamic why people are kind of subconsciously shunning it or pushing it away is because still, even today in this day and age, we're obsessed with that romantic notion of the starving artist, of somebody who's <laughs> suffering for their creativity, somebody who is really... Um, you know, they're doing it for the right reasons and they're doing it mm. because it's all about the idea and the art and it's this passionate figure. You know, I, I, maybe Van Gogh was a really good example of that. You know, somebody who is <laughs> dialed in creatively, but a total Man. mess, a total mess, you know? So <laughs> for me personally, I, I I think that, you know, uh, again, Martini, um, I'm such a fan of his and, and also people like Tony Robbins, um, you know, the, mm-hmm. these these personal development giants, what they taught me as an artist and as a creative is that, you know, there there are multiple facets to my life, to my creative being and that what it's about for me and my responsibility as a creative professional is to empower each and every one of those facets so that no mm-hmm. area is lacking or at least no our area is out of control. And and takes away from my creativity. Because if my health isn't right, I'm not going to mm-hmm. be painting my best. If I'm stressed Precisely. about how I'm going to pay the tax, I'm not painting my best. <laughs> if I just had a fight with a wife, I'm not painting my best. Like everything feeds back into that creativity. Exactly. So it's
1: about creating the whole person, right? Exactly. Because I remember even sometimes early on where I wasn't making as much money, you know, starting out. And I remember how stressful that was to create. And yeah, honestly, you got to take a lot of bad jobs then too. If we have more money or if we can make fifty thousand dollars on a painting then i have a little room to figure okay what do i want what's what can i paint that's going to make my heart sing now because i think that was the because i realized early on again it's a real slippery slope from taking when commissions is your only um funnel is that it turns into a, a regular nine to five really quickly because now you're just painting things that people want you to paint constantly and that was a i was like this isn't fun and it was because at the time I just needed the money because I didn't have any other options. Cause like you said, how am I going to pay for rent? How am um, I going pay taxes? Like what am I do? And that's why it's like, no, you got to try your best to go ahead and level up so that again, when you can do those, you know, high, high dollar projects, you can take some time off to, to do other creative endeavors, like not to just chill, but to say, okay, I have a little more freedom to learn a new technique or to, to practice a new skill. But I'm sorry if you broke you can't do that you just got to keep doing what can get them food on the table and so that's why again i wouldn't having more money allows you more options to get even better and that's how i feel about it. if you take the right mindset i don't think there's anything wrong with that
0: perfect perfect answer man perfect answer i have found myself in that trap of the the nine to five or painting on commission or trying to paint it's kind of like you know dance dance you know it's like the music's playing dance get get into it exactly. and, and it's like well you know, it start. It does start to feel like a, a bit of a grind, and so mm. and so now, I I, I kind of look at that, and and I've had my own ways of of balancing that out. Part of it for me was setting up a creative space that would command that state of mind that would allow me to go, hey, I'm painting a picture. Forget about the the payment side of it now. Just let's lock mm-hmm. into the creative aspect of it. How do you find? that you got out of that, that frame of mind of, of painting under pressure and allowing Mm -hmm. yourself to feel that I'm assuming here, but feel that creative Mm -hmm. fulfillment. Cause you seem like somebody, again, you know, you're, you're, you're dialed in, you're passionate about your subject matter, but, Mm -hmm. but how do you, what kind of strategies do you have for, for having that not feel like a job?
1: Yeah. I think what I, I think the best thing I did was make sure I'm still doing pleasure paintings, things that I want to paint, because obviously we all have those projects. Like, hey, that's a cool picture. I want to, I want to recreate that. So I make sure that I, I do want to do one of those every once in a while to make sure that I'm doing art that I like, because sometimes commissions can get a little boring. Like it can, because it doesn't, it's not something you wanted to do. But again, and I'm still, I still work on it sometimes now. But I always, I think that's the biggest thing for me is make sure I'm doing stuff I want to do too. That way there's a balance there and I can kind of get recharged. Or if I know I have a pleasure painting coming up, you know, I can still be happy while I'm painting the current one. It's like, okay, once we get this one over, I get to paint such and such. Or I like I get to do that one that I know I'm gonna love, like that one that's gonna make me happy. Um, I think the other thing is raising my prices. Once I raise my prices, less, I think Maria talked about this in the book. Um, in In her book was that if you raise your prices or like if you're overbooked, you raise your prices you'll be less booked but the money should just about equal out and I was like ah, okay when I actually I remember reading that from her and I was like ah, okay then let's raise our prices like we have way too many commissions coming in right now that I can barely fill these orders and it's killing me like it's burning me out but yes once I raise my prices you get a few less commissions but just more money on those commissions so I think that those two things raising your prices and making sure that you have a balanced Lifestyle to maybe not just paint, but do other things that you like to do, even if it's just working out, writing, whatever it may be.
0: So I get asked this a lot over over email messages, all that sort of stuff. Um, people want to know, like, hey, Andrew, how do you, how do I go about pricing my paintings? Mm-hmm. And and I again, you know, it's it's a good strategy. What Maria was talking about about raising your prices, but let's mm-hmm. say somebody's just starting out. And, and they want to try and find that price point, they're jumping into the market and they want to be able to anticipate or plan ahead for this type of dynamic that we're talking about here. So, mm-hmm. how, how did you go about finding a price point for your work? And then as you're raising mm. your prices, if you don't mind me asking, do you raise it by a percentage or to what, from what to what, uh, as specific as you like Caleb or, or general as you like?
1: That was that was definitely a, a tough part for me. I had an art teacher, his name name's uh, Eric O'Dell, and he always helped me with these kinds of questions. But honestly, just like we talked about, there is no hard and fast answers. I think one that I liked was doing the square footage and just multiplying that times one or 1.5, depending on your journey. Me personally, I just kind of looked at some of my contemporary artists or my peers who were doing similar work. And I was like, okay, he charged 400 for this. Well, he's got a lot more clientele than me. Maybe I could go a little cheaper. And I think most of my small, small, small paintings started at like two hundred dollars, and that worked okay. And then, like you said, or like I said, I had got to this point where I was doing way too many paintings, or even from a confidence standpoint. And I'm, I'm not gonna lie, I'm still struggling with that today because it's like, not to be arrogant or anything, but you're like Caleb, look at your resume. Look at the people you work for. You're giving a TED talk, like you're not the same Caleb you were in 2016. You, it's okay to raise your prices. Like It's okay to to raise them to big boy prices because there's some times where I'm like, wow, this is a really good painting. Like If I was such and such, he would be charging $5,000 for this and I'm charging this. And so that would be disappointing. So I guess I'm, that's something I'm still trying to fill out, Andrew, is you really kind of got to fill out the market and just really have the courage to say, okay, I think it's time for a price jump or maybe it's a new year and it's like, let's just see. We put it out there, see if people will still bite at it and every price increase I've ever done, it hasn't really stopped the show. So I guess I'm doing okay with that progression. But like I will say that when you don't raise your prices appropriately, you'll stay in the market. You're basically asking for like if you're selling payments for two hundred dollars, you're going to keep attracting two hundred dollar clients. That's something I've learned. And when you start to raise them, not only does it kind of raise your confidence, but like now it's like if you if you expect ten thousand dollar commissions, and that's a different mindset. And those are the people you'll attract. And that's that's been a legitimate thing for me is like when I was doing even hundred dollar paintings early on, play, I had people asking. But when I raised my prices with a different kind of clientele, then you get corporate people asking for things, universities asking for things. And I was like, OK. And of course, when your skill grows, too, because, again, if I I know I, I try not to compare, but if if I'm looking at an artist and let's come on, you know, art. You know how it can be like I'm like, I'm I'm I think I'm a little better than this guy or like my work is just as good as this. Like, how come I can't get ten thousand dollars? And those are other situations where I'm like, no, like I can I can raise my prices and and let's see what happens. So I would. But for the somebody starting, out, I would definitely tell them just get an idea for what other people in the industry are doing that are on their level and maybe trying out the square inch one and see again, you just got to see if people get it. If nobody's buying it, you need to lower your prices. If too many people buying it, raise them. I think that was Maria also who gave me that idea.
0: Please excuse this brief interruption. I want to take just a quick minute and tell you about this podcast sponsors. Now, I've been using Rosemary & Co. for well over a year now. And since I've adopted these brushes, I've noticed a dramatic improvement in my work. The quality of Rosemary & Co. brushes is second to none. And they're my absolutely favorite brush to use. Now, right now on the Rosemary & Co. website, you can find my landscape, portrait, and on plein air set, as well as an introductory and a deluxe set. Not to mention my range of signature Tish Daggers. Now, if you haven't heard of the Tish Daggers before, you must check them out. This is something that I've designed in conjunction with Rosemary Co. It's a unique brush designed to give me a specific kind of mark. In fact, when I say that, it actually gives me a wide range of marks from a broad stroke to a nice tapered line, even a point at the end. Now these brushes we've narrowed down to have just the essential amount of bristle on there. And they also come in a range of sizes depending on whether I'm working with the block-in or detail stages. Again, it's my favorite brush to use. But Rosemary Co make all kinds of amazing brushes. So check out the sets that are available right now on the Rosemary Co website by going to www rosemaryandco.com. And if you want to find my sets on there, simply search my name, Tischler, on the website, and it's going to pull up those sets. Now, your purchase of any one of these sets goes to supporting this podcast and the content that I bring out. And thank you so much for checking this out. Now, while we're on the subject of high quality oil painting materials, you must check out Blue Ridge Oil Paints. Now, recently I've made the switch to Blue Ridge, and now it's the only oil paint I use, whether I'm working on a private commission for a collector somewhere in the world, or the stuff that I demonstrate on YouTube. Blue Ridge have got a consistency and a quality to the color that they're able to put into those tubes that is just second to none. Now, Eric Silver, the man behind Blue Ridge, is an absolute genius in my opinion, pouring his heart and soul into every one of those colors. It is now my favorite oil paint, bar none. So you can check out Blue Ridge Oil Paints right now on their website, at www.blueridgeoilpaint.com. And while you're there, click on that tab that says Sets. And when you click on that, you're gonna see my landscape set, my portrait set, and an on-plain-air painting set. And again, your purchase goes to supporting this podcast as well as my free content that I bring out regularly. And thank you again for checking this out. I really appreciate you letting me take this time to interrupt the podcast. Now let's jump straight back into our conversation with Caleb Brown. Again, that's really, really good advice. I, for me, it was it was quite simple early on in my career because I had the help of, of agents. Um, you know, I, 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 I had my first exhibition And I had some guidance from my father and from Mm -hmm. some key key other people that were just kind of, they set the bar, they set the level. And they said, okay, look, what we want is we want a sellout show. We want some nice low prices, but not cheap, but just Mm -hmm. something that is going to reflect the value of where you're at now and the value of the work where it is and then let's come away with a lot of red spots on the wall, you know, from sold work. And, mm-hmm. and that, that strategy worked. And then after a while, once I started getting into galleries, I found that the, the agents were raising the prices to the point where, you know, they they were now saying, no, no, you're at this level. It's time to, to play this game. And some of those prices made me feel really, really uncomfortable. And But what I realized is like what you're saying, you know, from that jump up in price, now it opened me up to a whole new world. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I, I think, yeah, there, there's one side of it. I, I don't think I'm a greedy person but Mm -hmm. i i I did feel like early on i i didn't wasn't able to handle the 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 money coming in i didn't really know what to do with it but now that Mm -hmm. i'm older i'm able to balance that a lot more so as we were saying earlier the motivations kind of change and you start realizing i think what it comes down to now for me personally is self-worth just being okay with myself to the point where Mm -hmm. it's like you know what I, i i deserve this i've worked damn hard over my career to, to, to get to this point and I know what I'm going to do with it as well and I think that helps set up the flow you know for, for myself personally Absolutely. Anyway. but I, I love what you're saying and look again I mean that resource was fantastic I, I love audiobooks you know Maria Brophy mm. wrote a fantastic one there she did such uh, a good
1: job man oh man
0: and um so so she wrote the book I wanted to write yeah <laughs> hey man <laughs> she wrote you... the book I was <laughs> look I, I, you're gonna write one. I'm writing one. <laughs> I'm gonna write one Look, too. Because like, hey. yeah, because I, I I think that this there's, there's room for everybody, man. I mean, they're, they're, <laughs> the, the world's a big place and. And we all have a unique approach to this thing. And this is the thing I love about art is that, is that there's no way, one way to do this. Um, look, let, let's, let's uh, just change gears here for a second. Um, oh, no, no. Actually, before we do, before we do, while we're on the subject of, of audiobooks and resources, because I can tell, listen, man, you're, you're, you're right in that lane as well. Like, I, I love that. <laughs> what are some of the people that you listen to? Who's really inspiring you? Who are some of your favorite, you know, titles and, and oh, what, what are you reading? What, what's getting you
1: going? Um, like I said, I'm reading a lot of stoic philosophy currently. So that's Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. Ryan Holiday um, is a popular author out right now. He wrote Ego is the Enemy, The Obstacle is the Way. And he has a new book called Steal Mrs. Key. Brene Brown, love her. This guy named Mark Manson, love him. Um, those are probably my favorite authors. And John Gordon is another guy. So these these are all people that I think do really... They say more or less the same thing, but they just come from different standpoints that you can kind of really just figure out how to position yourself in life to, I don't mean to sound cliche, but to be happy or to really be comfortable in showing up in spite of everything that's going on. Because none of them says that the ever that your life's ever going to be perfect, but they're saying that you can live a great life and a happy life in spite of everything that's going on. I really appreciate everything they had to say, like... Yeah, Ryan Holiday. I like him a lot right now. And I read his book probably a year ago and I kind of came back to some of his work and I was like, yo, like, I need this. Like, this is perfect timing. So, yeah, always these are these are people like when they ask me who they should read, these are people I'm coming out with first. Brene Brown, John Gordon, Ryan Holiday, Mark Manson and Marcus Aurelius.
0: So that um, that Ryan Halliday book, The Obstacle is the Way, I, I can vouch for that one, definitely. I thought that that was phenomenal. Man. And also, Mark Manson, he's the guy that wrote The Subtle Art of Not Giving It Absolutely. Up. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was, as soon as I saw the title, just the cover of the book, I'm like, I need this book in my life. <laughs> I
1: need it Honestly, right that now. Book, man, that book probably shifted my life more than anything did. Because that was the first time I'd ever been introduced to the idea of... I guess suffering being unavoidable in life, and I guess too many people not feeling like they could escape that through material gain. Like that was that was how I kind of first understood how money quote doesn't buy happiness in and of itself. That was the first time I ever realized, oh snap. And then what he basically said was not to not give an f about anything, but to figure out what matters to you and disregard everything else, like because you're gonna suffer. What well, we talk about others, so trying to figure out. What's worth suffering for. And that was the first time I'd ever been introduced to that. That book really changed, it was a big paradigm shift for me. Cause it it definitely made me reconsider things. If if I could say there was a work that inspired my TED Talk, it would be that and probably obstacle is the way both of them kind of shifted my mindset for life. And now when tough stuff comes up, it's not so much of a victim mentality. It's like, okay, what can we do with this opportunity here? Because in any obstacle is an opportunity to get get better. I always have a joke that. Sit-ups hurt, but that's how you get abs. So there's really only one way through. Like, you got to go through these things. You know, we love to create artwork, but, you know, it's going to take you 10, 20 hours. So. Like it's time to just take it from a more positive positive mindset, and I'm just grateful for those authors. I'm, I love books so much. Like I'm really happy that books are a thing.
0: No, me too, man. Me too. So this TED talk, uh, you you had me captivated, man. Through, I mean, even though it's a, it was a short talk, about 20 mm-hmm. minutes, it, it was it was great and um, really really inspiring. So before we get into the the guts of of what you were talking about in that talk Mm -hmm. how does one get onto that circuit that was that's impressive man man. so tell us about the process
1: so unless you're already famous like you know some of those people get invited for me really it's just the application process so you can go to the ted talk website and find an event near you it's like okay let me try it and i remember applying Cause I was like, I always want to give a Ted talk. That was a, that was a, I know that was a, a goal of mine, even from the job. I want to give a Ted talk. And so I applied and what's crazy. Andrew is that was early this year. And I actually went through some things in my personal life and I was actually clinically depressed at the time, but that was me trying my best to fight through that and to continue to show up for the things I love. And I was like, this is a, this is a goal. It's in a city that is like an hour from where I lived at the time. And it's like, we got to try. And then they said, "Okay, we want to bring you in for an interview. And I was like, or a pitch rather. And I'm like, oh, God. And even then, same thing. I'm still battling those that depression. And I'm at the I'm at the interview. Just the crazy thing. They they say that when you're depressed, you can't remember a lot. And I honestly cannot remember much of that process. But it still went well. And I was able to get a chance to speak. And I remember it was one of those moments where it's like, oh, man, like I'm it's going to be okay. Like we're going to work it out. And by the time I actually gave the talk, I was in a much better headspace. But yeah, you do the you do the application, they bring you in for an interview, and then if you get accepted, then there's a process where you got to go to several different practices and then a dress rehearsal before the um before the talk. And I actually had an opportunity after we did a couple of rehearsals was that they said I was going to open up the show, so I ended up going first, which was nerve-wracking, but at the same time it was a big honor. And I that was one of the coolest things in my life because again, it's like really a lifetime goal kind of fulfilled. And now it's like, okay, I want to get on the big Ted stage. Like I want to go out to Cali and do the real big one. And that's what we're just going to keep working. And I might try to apply for another one just to kind of keep building the resume, because I'm telling you that to say that you've given a Ted talk, that's a big deal, man. Like people love it. Like that people tease me when they see me like, Oh, it's Mr. Ted talk. They're like, oh, stop. <laughs> like it, it makes me so like nervous at times. Cause they mess with me. Cause I don't, I didn't think it was that big a deal, but some people, do like i i was happy to have done it but i didn't like i got friends who call me famous and i'm like all right stop 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 like i'm i just gave a talk like i just i just fulfilled a dream that was just for me i didn't want the fame it was just something i wanted to do because i watch ted talks all the time i was like i want to give a ted talk and so no nah, that, that whole process was one of the highlights probably the highlight of my year man
0: that's awesome that's awesome dude i, I again i mean Okay, I'll, I'll admit it here. I, I kind of I, I've always wanted to give one to because <laughs> uh-huh. no, I've, like, I've been I mean, I'm a big fan of TED Talks. And I, I've watched some, you know, the one I really love. And I, you know, mentioned his name earlier as well. But Tony Robbins, I, I still love mm-hmm. that talk that he gave. And just his command of just public speaking and holding that space. And then the message he delivered, he just had them right in the palm of his hand and watching that just going, wow, how inspiring is that? But then coming up against myself, just kind of going, what the heck would I talk about?
1: (laughs) But man, um, they, they, their coaches, the coaches that are over the event, they're second to none. Like I became a better speaker in those, that, that two month process than I've ever been in my life. Like, they they show you how to tell a story and i think for anyone that's wanting to do the public speaking thing that's the main thing is one talk about one thing that's what a lot of people get off topic in their talks talk about one thing and two tell stories those are the two most important things i think any because storytelling makes it fun it makes it engaging because if you just listen to if nobody tells stories it's a lecture i've noticed that about people who write books too people who tell stories in their books the books are always a lot more engaging And if they don't have stories, it's real academic and just like, goodness, like y'all might be saying a lot of good things, but I'm bored to death. So just tell stories, Andrew, like, and that's what they're going to tell you too: tell stories and stay on topic. (laughs)
0: <laughs> that's a real struggle for me. Staying on topic, uh, you know, I, I'm I'm always distracted. And my brain's going 100 million miles an hour, and I'm just I'm on to the next thing. Um, but the, so in the in the in the actual guts of your talk, you know, you're talking about this thing that's a huge topic. I mean, and you're, you're talking about your own struggles as well um, with with mental health, and I and I appreciate you being so open with me about that. I because mean, that's Absolutely. that's huge, man. That's a huge deal. And and I know that there's going to be a lot of people listening to this now, um, who are going through similar struggles. So Absolutely. in in the essence of, of, of what you're talking about on stage, you know, this mm-hmm. this thing about um suffering and these obstacles and and you know misfortune, that's being the reality of our existence. How do Absolutely. you keep your chin up and, and put that in your stride and just keep going?
1: It's just is one it's just a perspective shift. And that was the whole point of the TED talk is to telling is telling people that There is an opportunity inside your struggle, and I don't even mean to be like insensitive to people's different struggles because obviously, we have what I went through may be really small compared to what somebody else may have gone through, but there is an opportunity in every single struggle. Um, like there's lessons to be learned, and I think if I had not gone through what I went through, I wouldn't have learned a lot of things, I wouldn't have wanted to figure out how, like. It revealed a lot about me because then you realize okay maybe i'm not as tough as i thought i was and then it's like okay so how can i get better now i think there's an opportunity in every obstacle even some like if a family member dies like there's something you can it, it teaches you to be grateful like i think that's one of the more extreme examples like you learn to be grateful or to make the most of your time there's there's an opportunity in every obstacle it's really just a per- perspective shift. Now, it's not to avoid the fact that you're sad. Like, if you're, if, you're, if you're depressed, like, you have to go through that gamut of emotions, but you have to understand that on the other side of this, and that was something I was grateful to have understood because of the reading I did, was that when everything kind of just fell apart, it was like, I know that on the other side of this, I can be better if, if I choose to look at it that way. And it wasn't great every day. A lot of days I didn't do good, or a lot of days I didn't show up like I need to. I didn't, I did say this in the, in the talk, but like, there was like a couple of weeks few weeks and you were, I didn't even work. Like I just couldn't show up to the easel and get to work. And the old me, like I was a real rah-rah motivational guy. I would have been like, if I would have seen somebody depressed, I probably would have been like, what's wrong with you? Like life is not that bad. Get back up to the easel. Like what's wrong with you? And so again, when I was in that moment and I'm like, okay, I get it now. I get what it feels like to not, to not have energy, to not feel like, I know what it feels like to be depressed now, and that made me a better teacher. That made me a better friend so that now when I'm giving talks, I can come from a place of it's okay for you to be down and out. That's okay, and you're going to mess up, but you just got to keep showing up. That's all. It could take you years to get over what you went through. I'm not going to tell you how, how long it got to take for you to get over something, but just keep showing up because it will get better if you choose to look at it that way. I think the it's just the, the perspective shift. Um And going back to even the new things I've been looking about, it's about just controlling the things you can control, suffering for stuff that you care about and letting the rest of it go. And in most cases, again, the only thing you can really control is how you respond. Things are just things like everything that happens is objective. The meaning you prescribe to these things is what hurts you or what makes you happy. So it's like you can choose for like it's really your perception that has made this thing bad. And you can obviously choose how to respond to certain things. Again, no matter how bad it is, you can respond how to feel. Or not I don't want to say how to feel, but how you're gonna act. Because you can be in pain and still say, I'm gonna turn in this TED Talk application, come hell or hot water, because that's about me. That's that's something I need to do for me. So same thing, man. Just again, just to find that that opportunity in every obstacle is very important. That's the perspective shift you need when you're going through something like that. I, man,
0: I appreciate that so much. I can I can I can I reflect on that with a little bit of a, a story. Um, Absolutely. Just something as you were saying that you know something came to mind, because I, I've been so lucky. I've been so blessed in my career, um, mm-hmm. and and you know I had a lot of highs, a lot of lows. But I'm kind of the guy. Not many people would know about this, but I'm kind of the guy that that had it all, made it made it big within a, within a limited, very small circle within the Western Australian market. I was doing great Mm -hmm. in my mid twenties. I mean, I, I, it was, I, I hadn't known of anybody else that was doing that well. And so it it really all came crashing down spectacularly for me and I lost it all. My lowest point was, was living in a shed (laughs) not many people know about this I, and I am I'm, I'm sharing it now but I was actually I was literally living in a shed it was illegal for me to be living there Rachel and I both lived there so I'm married to the woman of my dreams who mm-hmm. is, is sticking with me through this and here I am you know my paintings are expensive but I couldn't sell any of them at this time the market was down there are all sorts of awful things going and and what, what had happened is, is we, we had an engineering fabrication place across the road in this shed complex. So I had other units, factory units and things that were next to me. We had an industrial mm-hmm. laundry engineering fabrication place and somebody was making breakfast cereal in the unit over. And it mm-hmm. was noisy, it was dirty, it was dusty. There was smoke and fumes and all sorts. And people probably wouldn't realize this, but when we were down and out, I was saying to Rachel, you know, I think I want to give YouTube a shot. And she's Mm -hmm. like, what? I said, I think I can make this work. And (laughs) that was a year I started my YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. And, and since actually doing that by, by not staying down and out by focusing on, on, Hey, I, this is this is enormous adversity right now. This is like a huge issue. This is a problem. We're 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 in a crisis now. Like this is now for me that was rock bottom, and I know other people's version of rock bottom will be different. But like no money, broken, no prospect of of turning this thing around, and and massive family upheaval and all sorts of things going on, turning around and going. I'm going to start this youtube channel and things since then have picked up both on the art front but also on the teaching front it's been like life now is completely different completely different mm-hmm. within the space of just a few short years bam by just looking at that situation and going where's the opportunity in this where where i Absolutely. okay I, I i can look up so i can get up i'm gonna get up so where's the opportunity and mm-hmm. I, I i hope you know, I hope people don't mind me sharing that story, but that's that's something that I always think about. I'm so grateful for this point I'm in now because I know it wasn't very long ago that I was there. So where are we going to go from here? Mm-hmm. Uh, to 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 completely different life, completely different lifestyle now, in just a short amount of time. Some people are gonna gonna think about that, going okay, yeah, sure. Crisis and opportunity. Where where can I see the the opportunity? And and people might even be offended by that notion uh, of going Absolutely. Oh, Okay, hey, you know, easy for you to say, you know, mm-hmm. that, that that my adversity right now, my struggle right now, there's a seed of an opportunity. But I personally feel that. I, I, I feel that. And a lot of the people that I subscribe to and listen to and and, and consume their material, they all say that. That that there's this balancing mm-hmm. force. And I, I love what you said just then about it's not necessarily about what happened, but it's about the meaning you you ascribe to what happened. Mm-hmm. So, um, so for you, when you're going through your your struggles and things, you're like, I, I love that meaning that you're going. Hey, this is going to make me a deeper person. This is going to make me more of a person, so I can turn mm-hmm. around and help somebody else. Because there's one Absolutely. thing, there's one thing that I that I, I that came across so clearly to me, Caleb, in your TED talk was. You could feel, you know, that that passion and that that depth in what you were saying, you know? And I'm mm. sure it was nerve-wracking, there was all that stuff, it was flash, yeah. flash suit, by the way. Man, you look sharp on that <laughs> stage, that was great. But, uh, you know, but you could feel that, that that was, you were coming from a genuine place, you know?
1: Cause it was real, and she wanted, I, I actually, the last portion of the speech that I actually talked about what, talked about my personal journey wasn't in my original talk. Um, I didn't unveil that until the last rehearsal because I think I had a friend who's like, yeah, man, it's you talking about it anyway. So you might as well bring up the fact that you kind of have gone through a little bit of this struggle in this year alone. So it's like, okay, I got to, there's something I got to do because somebody might see this and say, dang, okay, maybe I can do it. like, he's obviously in pain. Maybe I can, you know, figure it out. And I think i'm not I'm not telling anyone to to like get up off the ground now. I'm just saying don't stay there forever again if it takes you it takes you a while you know that's your journey I'm not going even if you don't believe me right now, that's fine but when you i feel like you kind of have two choices you can choose to say this is my life forever it's just gonna be garbage forever or you can choose to be optimistic about it and so I'm like if you're gonna if you're gonna choose something, why not choose optimism i mean if if you're pessimistic, it you can't get no worse so it's like why not choose the more positive option if you got a choice either way and if you're wrong about it you ain't you can't get no worse you know i if you're already at rock bottom and it's like what else you got to lose so again i again I, I agree with you i hope that it don't sound insensitive but that's what the the old masters the the stoics the philosophers they're saying the same thing like it's just like you know, it it can be whatever you want it to be, because like a lot of things, I don't even want to say I don't want to say most things, but a lot of things that some of us go through in the grand scheme of things won't be as relevant in five years. We go through certain trauma, like we go through certain things, and in the moment they seem like the end of the world, but in truth, in five years we gonna look back and be like, dang, I was really, I was, I was tripping out about that. But I will say that I wouldn't change a single thing about what what I went through this year, because I think that it's turned me into who I am. It made me who I am. So like, same thing. I'm looking at it from a positive standpoint where it's like every late night, every tear you cry, every heartbreak was like, okay, I'm better for that now. And because that that situation helped me grow. Like I'm, I'm just stronger because of it. Like I'm a better person. Like I wouldn't change a thing, Andrew, as much as it sucked. Like I'm, I'm glad that we're on the other side of it now, but I like I wouldn't change a thing about it.
0: I want to go back a little bit here, uh, back to the, this this idea of, of of you writing the book because I, 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 personally, I'm excited to to read it. I'm excited to oh, to, to learn more from you because I, I I know I'm going to learn a lot from you in terms of the mindset because you know the 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 mental side of things is still. I don't have a I don't have a label or a condition or anything that I've no. I've had checked out. I probably would if I went to to go and get some professional opinion on it. But <laughs> I, I do struggle with it to, still to this day. So I think I think as creatives, there's a lot of creatives out there that I know of that that struggle with some sort of mental health issue or just some sort of creative issue. You know whether it's just. Angst, despair, frustration, Mm -hmm. um, fear—you know, lack of confidence, just being terribly introverted, you know, just Mm -hmm. uh, uh, crippling shyness—all these things that get in our way. Uh, Share with me some of the story, some of the some of the strategies, if, if you will, or some of the things that that you would want love to talk about in this book, and and. You know what are some of the some of the ideas i'd love to hear more for instance about stoicism because oh, i'm very new to stoicism i've heard, dabbled with it a little bit but I, I am fascinated by that
1: oh man so i'm gonna try to release a book early 2020. i've already kind of started writing but i've never written a book before so i don't necessarily know how long it's going to take to make that happen but the plan is early 2020. and i always have this little mantra that i say with my friends it's like get your mind right which is like you better get your mind right for whatever it is you're about to do because mentally especially when it comes like when he's playing football if you got to play a or go up against a really formidable foe it's like hey you better get your mind right because they're not playing like they're really good so you better get your mind right and that's been a big thing for me and once i actually went through my own struggle it was like okay now i'm ready to write whatever this book i've been trying to write which is trying to give people the mental again just give them give them some strategies in this fight because the fight is going to happen and i think that's a major premise that i will drive home is that everybody's going through something. Everybody's heartbroken. It's it's either large or small. At some point in your life, you were heartbroken. Like even if it was something really small is maybe your dad didn't affirm you the way you wanted to be affirmed when you were five. It taught you a lesson because all those things that you talked about, fear, angst, shame, they're not real. You learn those like you learn that as a part of your domestication when you're growing up. And that's how you learn them through those different heartbreaks you know, you got turned down for prom in high school or had a bad breakup. These things can shift how you feel about the world, but they're all lies. So it's it's like going back to the, this is where I say like, that's the point where going to see a mental health professional is, I would say is vital because again, you can figure out, a lot of people don't even know that they're heartbroken. That's the verbiage I'm using. It's like a lot of people don't even know that they have baggage going back to when they were four years old. But a, a mental health professional can help that's what I actually majored in in college with psychology. And so I know that a therapist can actually just guide you to that place to say, dang, I actually, I didn't even know that getting turned down for prom in 11th grade affected me like that. And nowadays is making you scared to put yourself out there because you don't want to feel that rejection. And what I found again is that everybody has that. whether Even if they're well adjusted, they still have it a little bit. I would say that 90% of people have not dealt with that heartbreak. And I'd say maybe 10% of people have. These are really well-adjusted people. I say the best of the best people in the world. Like people who really have the mental clarity, even people who are madly successful. Me personally, I can see it from a mile away based on just social media antics that dang, you still ain't dealt with whatever that is. And I hate it for you because you have you have it all and you still can't enjoy it. And that's and that's the basic premise is that if you never address that heartbreak the things that you've been through you're never going to be able to enjoy life that's why money's not going to do it a relationship darn sure ain't gonna be able to do it um any material success or anything even your involvement with certain organizations is not going to make you happy it's always going to be like a cloud hanging over everything you want in life because you ain't dealt with it and so that's going to be one of the basic premises and then just giving people the strategies to figure out how like stoics they believe that the height of human existence is based almost self discipline adhering to your moral code and you get to decide what that moral code is like some people can get it from the bible their religion you know they can get it from you know wherever they want to that part is less important you can figure that out on your own like that's that's a journey in and of itself but the stoics believe that virtue in itself is how you're happy the process is what makes you happy how you do something is way more important than the output. And that's something I've really got behind lately because I'm like, they're right. Because at the end of the day, too many people feel powerless and hopeless because they put their hope in things they cannot control. Even like relationships, they put their hope in the other person making them happy. And although we want to choose good partners, we can't really control what they do. You know, you work really hard at a job because you want the promotion, but you can't always control whether you're going to get the promotion or you could die tomorrow. And so the thing is, we spend we're so we render ourselves powerless because, again, we're always in the rat race trying to control things we can't control. We think if we get more money, we're going to have more control. We get this promotion, we're going to have more control. But the truth is, most things in life we just cannot control. And the only thing we do have control over is ourselves and how we approach life and that we show up fully and love as hard as we can. That's, that's the best that we can honestly hope to do. And so those are one of the things, like I'm still trying to do my research and making sure that I give people the strategies. The main thing is, I guess, trying to help people develop their moral code as, as they see fit. Because I think, because again, I, I remember my, my teacher in school once told me, she says, when you look at atheists and maybe really religious people, they say the most unhappy people are the people in the middle, the people who don't know where they stand, which means if an atheist is just sure, you know, if they just say, I, I know where I stand on certain things, I know what my moral code, I know what I'm about, that I know my identity. And the same thing, a a religious person knows who they are, they're going to be happy. And that's why it's like, even if you don't get it right, just keep showing up for you the best that you know how. And if your profession you know, if you're a painter today, just keep showing up. And if at some point it's still not fulfilling, just keep learning yourself. And eventually I think you'll come into a place where it's like, OK, this is who I am. And you're always going to change over time. But for the most part, the most important thing is just adhering to keeping the main thing, the main thing with what you know now. And and that's I'm so excited to write this book, Andrew, because I feel like it's going to help a lot of people. And I'm writing to myself. I'm writing to myself. Like I've been in that place and I've always got to remind myself even when you get in those modes where it's like, Dang, why is this not happening? It's like Caleb, you can't control that. All you can do, whether you like that outcome or not, you just—it's just inefficient to sit there and and like really sit on that when you can't control it. Like, only thing you can honestly control right now is how you approach your business, how you approach your relationship. That's all you can do for right now. And that's, and man, Andrew, that's even been in like the last month that I've been really got into the stoicism. I'm like, oh, this is this is it. Like this is this is my thing here like this is this is what I've been waiting for and I'm just grateful man so hopefully early 2020 is going to be a party man
0: we need a book like that in this space. I mean, there, there's a few people doing mindset and motivation and inspiration for for artists. And I don't mean to pigeonhole you by saying that, but I mm. think that it's something that we desperately need because I think maybe as artists as well, we get caught in our own head. Maybe we don't look outside for for that those cues and those inspiring stories and that that way to kind of be able to look at ourselves objectively and assess the mm-hmm. situation. And I really feel like a book like the one you're going to write is going to be so needed in this space. I, I can't wait to read it. I can't wait to hear more about your progress with it. I think it's going to be awesome, man. I, I think it's going to be absolutely awesome. I appreciate awesome that, man. Because I, I just, again, I mean, maybe just from a selfish point of view, I just really want to read it. Um, I. <laughs> I come face to face with that so much um and have done we'll probably continue to do so on this journey of of you know struggling with that, struggling with the things that I'm trying to control and and mm-hmm. realizing you know it, it ain't about that the only is why I love what you just said you know the only thing I can control is my approach is the way mm-hmm. I come at it it's 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 the way that I kind of um You know, choose the meaning I choose to derive from any situation. But the other thing that I think is really important that I that I would like to just kind of insert into this and maybe we could talk about this a little bit is also the identity that I choose to accept for myself, because this Mm -hmm. is the other thing again. Talking about Tony Robbins, huge fan, fanboy right here uh, of that guy. But I, <laughs> I think uh, the thing that he said that absolutely fundamentally changed my life is just hearing those words. You want to change your life, you got to change your standards. You got to raise your standards. And so mm-hmm. that to me is a fundamental change in my identity of who I am and what I'm willing to accept. But more than anything, yeah. it's not the external environment so much. It's the internal environment of going, what is my identity? What are my standards? and what what am i going to accept for for myself you know and in, in, in terms of how again how i approach a particular thing what is my moral compass who am mm-hmm. i and and i i don't know i think maybe artists could use not not i'm not saying a wholesale change i'm sure there's a lot of people who've got that plugged in really well but i think we need to be talking about this anyway
1: mhm absolutely and i think another another important part is like is is got to be on your own consideration like it has to be something that you chose because again if other people are establishing who you are ultimately it's not going to work like that's why even even again when you choose your moral code it has to be something that you care about it can't be something of course you can listen to other people but if if it's not something you truly care about it's not going to work and it's not going to make you happy so i think that's really important
0: uh, this is this is completely jumping tracks now a little bit, and mm-hmm. and but I do want to make sure we just we touch on it briefly, because again I think what you're doing, uh, you know, from the business side of things, and and the subject matter side of things, the mm-hmm. product that you're producing is so slick, it's awesome. You know, your work is great. What can you run me through the process of how you create one of these pieces, and uh, and tell me a little bit more about the technical aspect of the paintings you're yeah. producing.
1: I definitely took a lot of a lot of things from you, especially the the layering approach that I come that you do, especially when you start with the blocking and the modeling and then the details. That's how I try to approach it also. So I try to just put layers down. The acrylic paint acrylic paint doesn't always come through as opaque. I'm not really sure how oils work, but like the the acrylic takes a while, so I definitely have to put a lot of different um, different layers. And I think the final. Especially when it comes to like shading and different things like that is almost stippling, like just little dots that basically create the illusion of, you know, a gradient change. And so those are one of the things I've developed over time. The splatter is a is a technique of mine because I always tell myself I never necessarily want to be a realism painter because I felt like I was never going to be as good as some of the super realistic people. So like I'm I'm not gonna try like I, I'm okay with that and so I, at first it was just trying to balance abstract with realism just trying to find a different like a the decent balance and now I mean the paintings just got better I didn't even expect them to be as real as they look now and so it's like okay now I'm I'm something I'm a portrait painter <laughs> it looked semi real and still got a little flair in it like it's really expressive so that's that's my style and I think people recognize it so even from a branding standpoint it works but just layering you know how acrylics work i'm sure just layering and trying to do my best with blending the colors as as yeah so so when you're choosing your
0: subject matter and and Mm -hmm. you're i i I can i can see that you're you're working from photographs right yeah what what is it in the photograph or in your reference material that grabs you what like what are you looking for when, when you're like oh man i gotta paint that
1: um, I will say dynamic lighting, especially big contrast. Like there's a picture of Obama I want to paint that is like might be the coolest photograph I've ever seen. And I was like, man, this is beautiful. Or even when it comes to just just good photography and stuff that that really inspires me. And especially I'll definitely say the the biggest contrast, because I don't think non artsy people get that. But people inherently know what a good picture is like they're like dang that's a really cool picture so I've noticed that when my pictures are the most dramatic those are the ones people lose their minds over you know I get a lot of likes the ones where it goes from really dark or there's a heavy contrast I'm like people go crazy and the other thing I guess when it comes to sports in general um the subject matter is the people too like there's certain icons in the sport try to go with that dramatic plays or that everybody kind of remembers like I remember when that happened those are really – the mainly the main thing I would say is just the pure aesthetic of the picture. If it's a really cool photograph, I'm going to want to paint it.
0: So are you, are you using like stock images? Do you take your own photographs when you can? I mean, where do you find that inspiration? I guess what I'd like to ask as well is how do you get around – because I get a few people asking me this, is like, how do you get around copyright? I use a lot of my yeah. own source material. In fact, that's that's all I use is my own source material. And if I can't find it, I make it up, mm-hmm. I draw it, I paint it, I do it digitally. Um, but yeah. for you, I imagine if you're going to go after an iconic play, you got to yeah. use something that's published. So how do you stay out so, of trouble that way?
1: Now, this was actually a strategy I learned when I was really young. There's this artist that I'm actually friends with now. and I'm kind of kind of like you, somebody I really looked up to and became friends with. And I remember when I used to read his work, he would say that if if he only had an option of one picture, he would use several different references to try to create something to kind of. But then I also learned that that copyright laws can be real like iffy. So if you change one aspect of it, you kind of you kind of have some some rights of your own because it's like it's not your picture. At the end of the day, it's a painting and it can't look exactly like your photograph. And so there's still some slippery waters there. And I get that. But for the most part, I don't know, I haven't run into that issue yet, but I, I was pretty confident that as long as you change something about it, then you kind of have some some legal ground there. And I could be wrong. And if anybody's watching this, send me a DM and, and let me know if that is flawed thinking because I don't want to get sued and have to pay them money. So please let me know if that's wrong. But that's what I, that's the assumption I've been operating on, that if I change something, it's not they photograph anymore. That's yeah.
0: Maybe maybe that's something we need to look into a little bit closer. But I,
1: you know what? To be honest, uh, that that's
0: my understanding too. I think I heard somewhere that it needed to be, you know, twenty five percent change and and then it could be it could be something else but i mean here we are we're talking about artistic expression you're creating a unique product it's not a photograph you use the photograph to inspire a painting and like yeah you're changing maybe colors lighting background aspects like that yeah the 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 photograph might be the initial seed of the idea i had Mm -hmm. you know what i had somebody get in touch with me and they sent me a rather curt email like a really sternly worded email (laughs) saying because i did a tribute to waterhouse Um, Mm -hmm. Waterhouse's uh, famous Soul of the Rose painting of the the beautiful woman in the rose garden grabbing the rose and smelling it. And Mm -hmm. I wanted to reconnect, create that scenario. And so when she saw it, she didn't read any of the text, didn't read any of the description, just said, Mm -hmm. sent me the link and then said, you're going to be in breach copyright here. And I know these people that hold the copyright. I'm like, what? Get out Mm -hmm. of town. And like she had some connection to somebody who had the license for the prints on this thing and I was like uh-huh. get out of here man and so when I looked it up I was like well it's the artist's life plus a hundred years and I could reap I could print his picture uh, to make iPhone covers and I could go into production with iPhone covers you know because it's been his uh-huh. life plus a hundred years that's kind of the stipulation on reproducing somebody else's painting but a photograph. I think um, you know if if you're if you're using that as your basis for your own original expression, mm-hmm. it might be slightly different. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's something that we could get some feedback on. But um,
1: exactly, listeners, help us. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: look, it's super inspiring work. I, you're an inspiring guy, Caleb. Um, I've got a heck of a lot out of this conversation. I'm I really. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to seeing where, where you go and I'm going to be following mm-hmm. really closely, especially, you know, with the, book, that, the book coming out, you know, cause we need people like you in the space. I'm not just saying that because for me, again, my own selfish reasons, I want to read this book. I want to devour its content. I want to learn, you know, what you have to say, because I, I know personally I could use that. So besides the book, um, what's, what's next for you, where are you going and what are some of the things that you're looking forward to over the next couple of years?
1: Absolutely. I have a a couple of, I guess, celebrity type commissions coming up in probably before this year is out that I'm really excited about. Um, We I really would just plan to go on the road a little more um, with the talking thing, maybe could put together some seminars or things of that such, go to different cities and kind of again give people the ammo to combat the things they're going to go through in life and in their different professions, especially for artists. And that's probably that I'll come at, probably try to get the artists out. We've led some workshops like that, and I would like to do more of that. So those are the kind of things we have coming up. Really, the speaking portion is, is really important to me right now because I hate to see that people just don't, a lot of people don't have the mental just mindset to get through some of these things that I want to just try to help prepare them. I don't want to do the work for them, but I just want to give them the proper ammo in this fight.
0: So uh, Caleb, uh, where can people find you online? Where can they connect with you? See some of your work.
1: Oh man. Caleb's canvas.com. That's C A L E B S C A M B A S.com. That is my website. Graham handle is Caleb's canvas. And I believe my Twitter Is also Caleb's Canvas, but I think it has an an underscore between Caleb's and Canvas. They can find me on those different platforms. And I think my social media is linked up to my website, too. I think there might be a Facebook page, but I'm I'm not sure if it's called Caleb's Canvas. Facebook wouldn't let me change it. So it is what it is. But Instagram is probably the best place to find out what I have going on news. The TED Talk is obviously on the TED Talk website and YouTube. It's called The Triumphant Gift of Adversity. If you guys want to check out that TED Talk, I'd appreciate it. Um, But yeah, man, that's, that's me. Well, Caleb,
0: I've really enjoyed this. Thank you so much for being on The Creative Endeavor.
1: Absolutely, thank you.
0: I really hope that you've enjoyed this episode of The Creative Endeavor and a huge thank you to Caleb Brown for joining me. Now, of course, you can find Caleb on his website as he mentioned, but do make sure you go and follow him on social media. I'm following him right now on Instagram at Caleb's Canvas. Check out his stunning artwork and find out what he's going to do next. I personally cannot wait for that book to be finished. I'm really looking forward to reading that. No pressure, Caleb, but I know it's going to be an absolute gem. I'm looking forward to learning more about the mindset when it comes to this creative journey and really locking down and going for my goal with even more passion and enthusiasm and a better mindset. So I'm looking forward to that very, very, much. Now again, if you enjoyed this episode, then please take a minute to leave me a rating or a review on whatever podcast audio platform you're listening on. This helps the show become a little bit more discoverable and helps me share these inspiring stories with other people out there. And I appreciate that time and effort you're taking to do that. And also, I really appreciate your feedback and your messages. I've been receiving loads recently from people who have been listening to The Creative Endeavor and who have found these episodes beneficial. I got one message here on Instagram from Greg to and and uh, he said I just wanted to say hi and that because of you and your videos such as the creative endeavor I've been able to take the first steps into changing my career to becoming a full-time artist thanks well thank you so much Greg for that message it's people like you leaving these comments and sending me these messages and and giving me these emails that keeps me going yeah, selfishly, I do get something out of talking to other artists around the world and connecting with other creative professionals. But I also am addicted to sharing this journey with others. And it just fills me up so much to know that other people are getting something out of this as well. I'm really looking forward to bringing you even more episodes of The Creative Endeavor in 2020. We're going to hit the new year strong with a whole fresh batch of artist interviews from people from all around the world. And I know that we're going to start it off in a really inspiring way. Now, of course, you know where to find me. I'm on my website at www.andrewtischler.com. Make sure while you're there, you hit that subscribe tab into your name, your email address, and subscribe through my website. It's absolutely free to do so. What do you get for subscribing? Well... You get access to my YouTube tutorials 24 hours before they go live to the public, which gives us a chance to interact in that comment section. And whenever I release a full tutorial through my website, my subscribers always get a really nice discount at the checkout. And again, it's absolutely free to do so. So I look forward to seeing you there, www.andrewtischler.com slash subscribe. Well, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed your company and I look forward to being with you again in another episode of The Creative Endeavor.